You got me. Hey. You got me. Now, I'm not sure you needed it, but. Uh, so, we just finished up a great week of VBS and had the opportunity uh, to spend all week uh, celebrating the children the Lord has given us, teaching those children, training those children. And I wanted to take the opportunity here this morning and to. Um, really focus not only on teaching, training, celebrating the kids, but having the kids help lead us. And so uh, the kids all week have been singing VBS songs, and we're going to take the opportunity to uh, sing some of those VBS songs with them. And they're going to be part of the lead worshipers for us this morning. And uh, where we are actually in the book of Mark is where Jesus uh, rebukes the disciples for hindering the little children to come to him. Um, so we didn't jump around to get to there. Um, we, uh, we were there, led, I believe, by the Holy Spirit, and uh, we're able to um, really focus a lot of those things together. And so um, now that this mic is working, would you do this with me? Uh, let's pray. We'll hop in to Mark 10 and go from there. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the morning that we have to gather together. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would come and teach us. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, that you would show us in your word your heart for children. God, I pray that you would continually increase and deepen our commitment to, to loving and training and equipping and discipling children. God, we thank you for the ones that you have given us. Lord, we pray that you'd give us more. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 is where we will begin. And uh, as we look at this passage, we are going to see both the actions of Jesus, and then the specific teaching of Jesus. And both are going to be very important for us. We're going to see his actions and then his teaching. So let's read those three, four verses together, beginning in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them them. And so we see the actions of Jesus. He receives the children to himself. And we see the teaching of Jesus, which I believe can be succinctly summarized in this way. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. We bring nothing to the table. And so let's focus our attention a little bit on the actions first. You have 
a group of individuals bringing children to Jesus. Mark leads off, and they were bringing children to him. We're not told who the they is. We're not told where the they came from. Perhaps the they is the crowd or those out of the crowd that in the beginning of Mark 10, Jesus is teaching because the crowd has gathered. You can see the, the Pharisees perhaps interrupting his teaching, breaking to talk about divorce, and then people just coming and bringing children to Jesus. Mark doesn't give us any of those details. We can't really paint the picture with accuracy, but there was a group of individuals bringing children to Jesus, most likely mothers and fathers. And they are bringing children to Jesus that Jesus might touch them. And the response of the disciples is one of rebuke. The the response of the disciples reflects a first century understanding of children. And so in the midst of the they bringing children to Jesus, and even that word Mark uses, bringing, doesn't speak to a completed action. The scene is child after child after child being brought to Jesus without end, and the disciples beginning to push them back. Push them away. You know, no, he's busy. He's got Pharisees to contend with. He's got adults to teach. Their response reflected a first century understanding of the value and worth of children. A couple weeks ago, I gave you some of those details about what a child was thought of in the first century. And so here's just a couple quotes to remind you. Children and women were largely auxiliary members of society whose connection to the social mainstream depended on men. Children in particular were thought of as not having arrived. Teachers didn't waste their time with children. In a what probably is best thought of as a Bible commentary or a study Bible, if you will, from the Old Testament, this saying was written about children. Morning sleep, midday wine and children's talk, along with sitting in the meeting houses of ignorant people, put a man outside of the world. And so in a society where a man's connection to society, to the culture, to the quote-unquote world, to the influence of the town or of the nation was the most important, here again is the list of things that a man would lose his influence because of. Sleeping in, drinking at lunch, listening to what children say, and being around ignorant people. Children were not highly regarded. They were not highly thought of. They were not esteemed. There there is more esteem today in regards to children in our society, and we have laws that, that really demand that children are not relegated to the margins of society, but that was not the case. And a child's connection to society depended solely on his connection to his father. And so these children were being brought to Jesus and the disciples were, were taken aback and rebuked them. And Jesus responds in verse 14, he sees it and he was indignant. That word indignant means to give full vent to one's displeasure in the face of a perceived wrong. 
So Jesus is in the midst of teaching the disciples and even his actions of of having indignation that the children were hindered from coming to him is critically important for his teaching of the disciples that they may understand. You know what? Kids are also important. And Jesus says this, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Or we may also translate that last phrase, they can have the kingdom as well. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. I believe that there was an attitude and an idea amongst the religious elite, and I think we even see it percolating in the disciples' minds, that the kingdom, their limited understanding of it at this point, was something that men Enjoyed, perhaps something that men and women, not children, would enjoy or could inherit. And Jesus here puts that on his head and says, No, the kingdom belongs also to the children. You see, society is getting flipped upside down here in their understanding of children. His actions are unlike that of any other teacher or rabbi that has come before, and now he's going to teach. And in verse 15, he says this, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying hands on them. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like the child cannot enter it. I think we got to ask ourselves the question, what does receiving the kingdom of God like a child mean? Well, think about what a child has to offer. A child doesn't have a lot to offer. They have a little bit more to offer as they grow in their age. Perhaps the child reaches the age where he can mow the yard or she can help with the dishes or she can help uh, prepare the meals or he can vacuum the house and dust. I mean, there was an increasing set of responsibilities that came upon me as I aged in my parents' household. But when I came out of the womb, there wasn't anything I brought to the table. Tucker's not contributing anything to our family. He is a leech. He's just sucking. Bottles, finances, time, sleep. He's just getting everything taken. He's not contributing anything. And this picture of a child who has nothing to bring, they have no status. They have no privilege. They have no wealth or or, or, uh, prestige. They have no works. They don't have anything to bring to the table. One of my favorite hymns, and it occurred to me this week in prepping for this, that I actually, I think, say that phrase about every hymn that I quote. So uh, perhaps they're all my favorite hymns, but one of my favorite hymns, uh, I believe it's verse 2, says this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. The hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There's nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. To receive the kingdom like a little child is to receive it with empty hands. You and I don't bring anything to the table. 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, this is not of works, lest any man should boast. We, we don't bring anything to the table. We place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying and using these little children as an illustration of this, that these little children have nothing to offer him as a prestigious teacher who has become famous all throughout Palestine. And there's something that they understand that the disciples were still struggling with. And it was both in the, the response that they had in trying to hinder the children from even coming to Jesus and the value they placed on the life and worth of a child, but also their understanding of what the gospel is. We don't bring anything to the table. It is simply to the cross that we cling One scholar wrote this, I think it summarizes it well. The kingdom may be entered only by one who knows that he is helpless and small without claim or merit. So you have the actions of Jesus receiving children to himself, blessing them, praying over them, embracing them, valuing them. And you also have the teaching of Jesus using a child as an illustration to teach that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. And so this morning we want to highlight both of those aspects. We want this text to drive our service. And so the, the action part of it is that we are going to and have asked for our children to help lead us in singing. Now, I got to tell you, folks, sing. Try the hand motions. Don't just stare blankly at them. You will freak them out, okay? I had a choir director that said, if you're going to make a mistake, make it big, all right? So I want to see lots of big mistakes being made. Okay, because this is not just them performing for you. This is them leading us because you know what? They can do that. They can lead us. There's not an age requirement on what it means or when someone begins to be a disciple. And so they're going to lead us and I ask you to be led. Allow them to lead you. Allow them to lead you in singing, to lead you in the hand motions. And so we're going to do a song uh, from VBS, and we're going to do then a, another song thereafter. We'll have some music later on, which we'll come back to another VBS song. Um, we want to, in our actions, show that, you know what, we, we value and love children here. And it's not every Sunday that it's appropriate to welcome everybody, but there are appropriate Sundays to do so. And so then we, in the second part of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, uh, we get the opportunity to hear of the uh, testimony of Derek Rhodes as he follows the Lord this morning in believer's baptism, as he gets to share with us what the Lord has done in his heart. We get to hear and listen to Mikey walk us through the presentation that he gave to his class about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And we get to sing a little bit more, and then I said, I'm going to come back for part two. And part two is going to be just sharing some dreams and a vision that I've got for our kids and for us as their parents, as their grandparents, as the friends and adults that are engaged in their lives. So would you pray with me? After that, we will get our kids and the band to come up and we'll invite you to stand and join them. Father God, we thank you for this morning.
We thank you for the children that you have blessed us with, the gifts that they are. God, I pray that you would help us to honor them, that you would help us to do nothing to hinder them, that you would allow us to have a dramatic impact in their lives for the gospel. God, may we be a constant, repetitive voice for them about your goodness and your fame and your glory and how great you are. And so, Lord, we want to live that out here in these next moments as well and celebrate what it is that you have done this past week and the kids that you have given us. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Well, as, as we looked at the Mark ten thirteen to 16 passage and, and saw that the disciples were hindering the little children from coming, Jesus, getting indignant with them, expresses his displeasure at them and has some very instructive words for them and us, not only about the importance of these little children, but also about what it means to actually receive salvation and what it means to be and inherit the kingdom of God. And so this morning, where I want us to end is I would like for us to think about um, some of the dreams and goals that I have for our children and for for us in this place, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to include both them and us. There's really a two-way inclusion in this, and really, they, at the end of the day, aren't going to be any different than the dreams and goals that I have for you as adults. We, over the past several months, have been clarifying what our vision is, what our mission is as a church, and we have said that our mission is to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples. That's what we exist to do, that from the scriptures we understand that that is our calling, that is the mandate the Lord has given us, and that is if we are to be obedient to the scriptures, what we are to spend our time and our resources and our days seeking to accomplish. That being to glorify God by being a disciple-making disciple. And then we began wrestling with and asking the question and trying to put some meat on the bones of, all right, what does that look like? And we've walked you through a bit of it coming August 30th. We're going to walk it through in some great detail. But we've said that the the process of glorifying God by being a disciple-making disciple, we believe happens through Christ-centered worship, which is both a corporate gathering and a lifestyle, Christ-centered serving, Christ-centered community groups, and Christ-centered witness. And the mission for our children, the goal and dreams for our children, the vision for our children, adults, is no different than what it is for you. Because there's not an age that they will reach where they then become a disciple. If they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they are disciples. And as disciples, they are to make disciples. And us as disciples, we are to make disciples. And there's not a start and stop to this other than having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so I've got lofty goals for our kids. And in some ways, they're the same goals that I have for you, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. But I I want our kids to be so welcomed and loved here. To be so Bible-saturated and equipped here. To be so in awe of God's grace in their lives that the only logical conclusion they come to is that following Jesus is worth everything they may sacrifice and surrender to do so. Because A, that's what he's called us to. Follow me. And B, because we do know from the scriptures that it is indeed worth everything. But I want them to understand it. I want them to feel it when they come into this place. I want them to feel it when they go into your Christian ed classrooms, parents, during the CE hour. And I want them to feel it on a Wednesday night when they come and gather that they know and understand and and, and feel palpably the love of Jesus Christ as expressed through you, his instruments, who are just endeavoring to make disciple makers. I want them to feel it. I want them to know that this is a place of love and grace. We will have children come on Wednesday nights who this may be the only place of love and grace in their lives. I want them to feel it. I want them to see their parents and their parents' friends and their grandparents' age living out their faith at home living out their faith at work, living out their faith at the grocery store, living out their faith in the fast lane, living out their faith when they're behind a slow car in the fast lane, living out their faith when they go out to eat. I want them to see it everywhere. I want them to see it in your lives everywhere. I want them to see it here as we teach them And I want them to have such a clear, compelling vision through watching you that they understand what a relationship with the Lord looks like. That they understand that it's not a relationship based on perfection. It's oftentimes characterized as a relationship based on direction that includes a whole lot of confession and repentance along the way. I want our children to become lawyers that practice law and do so with excellence as they make disciples in their law firm. I want our children to become doctors that practice medicine with excellence as they make disciples amongst their patients and co-workers. I want our children to become politicians and school teachers and mothers and fathers that make disciples where the Lord has placed them. See what Mikey did 20 minutes ago up here? That was an example of him living as a missionary where the Lord has placed him. See, we're missionaries. Some are called vocationally to go places. Some are called vocationally to receive money for doing it, or perhaps better stated, to have their needs cared for so they can spend their days doing it. But what Mikey did was evidence of a man living as a missionary in his local school. And he's, he grows up, and as they grow up, as you and I 
grow up. May that same thing be true. I want our kids to ask the question and spend time processing with parents and teachers and those that they trust before the Lord, whether or not he has called them into full-time vocational ministry. I don't really want us, and it's not my goal, that we ever become a large church. If you want to be a church of a thousand or five hundred, we're not going to work ever towards that. God controls all the growth anyways. So for us to try to control that, it's just trying to boot him off the throne. That seems wise. Secondly, I'd far rather spend our days training and equipping disciple-making disciples who we might see dozens leave here to go into a mission field to go into a law firm, to go be a doctor, to go be a politician, to go be a school teacher, and to do so with the focus of making disciples where they are. You think about that generation of young ones that we could raise up and train and teach and develop. And you think about them getting set loose in their schools in a week and a half from now, set loose in their schools, set loose in their jobs, set loose in their neighborhoods, what the Lord can do with a group of people committed to following him with everything they have and seeking to live their lives on purpose for making other disciples. I think that's an endeavor worth spending energy and finances and resources and time on. I want them, in the same way that I want you, to glorify God by being disciple-making disciples. They may understand that that is done through Christ-centered worship, that is done through Christ-centered serving, that is done through Christ-centered community groups, that that is done through Christ-centered witness I want them to understand they don't grow up and start being disciples. And in the same vein, the last thing that I want is a whole bunch of moral kids who know what decisions are right to make, who know how to say and do the right thing, but are lost in going to hell. Because that very easily can be done. And in some ways, it's the story of Derek that he shared earlier. See, we got to be real careful, church. We got to be real careful that in teaching wisdom, which is good to teach, we got to be real careful in teaching those CE lessons and those Wednesday night lessons about obeying the Lord and, and, and treating others kindly and serving. All of those are good things. But we got to be real careful that we don't create moral kids who will spend their eternity apart from the Lord. We have to keep the gospel before them. We have to keep the gospel before ourselves. We have to be like Christ when he was receiving the children, even said, these are the ones. And you have to receive it like this. We have to keep the gospel before us And that's why the words Christ-centered are a part of our vision because it should be a repetitive, if not redundant, and if it is redundant, I think that's okay. 
reminder that he's the one that's our focus. And we worship him and we serve him and we're involved in community groups because of him and we witness because of him. This all goes back to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We have to keep the gospel before our kids at all times. We have to keep the gospel before ourselves at all times. And so I, I think just for us to, to ponder, are we hindering our kids from coming to Jesus? I think there's a question that just has to get wrestled with. Is, is our homes, is my home, the clothier household, a home that leads my three children to the Lord or hinders them? See, there's a, there's a plea and an argument for consistency there. There's a plea and an argument that, that the things that you will value on a Sunday morning are the same things that you value Monday through Saturday and that your children don't see a disconnect in the way that you live. And they see the same emphasis on the Lord. They see the same emphasis on the scriptures. They see the same emphasis on prayer Monday through Saturday as they do on Sunday mornings when you're here to gather. There may not be a greater hindrance than seeing that disconnect. And kids are incredibly, incredibly well suited at sniffing out those who are not consistent. We got to be real careful there. We got to have a lot of honest conversations with those who are close to us, our spouse, close friends, the Lord, asking that question. There will come a time in these young ones' lives that they will begin to question. And it actually is very normal. I believe it's actually very healthy. And it's not anything that we as a church need to be afraid of. But there will come a time in their lives where they begin to question. And it'll happen when they hit about the teenage years. And I saw this cyclically with all of the students that we had worked with for uh, the number of years we did. Um, they will begin to ask the question, why? And the question, why, isn't going to be like Adelaide asks, where she's just trying to figure out how things work and doesn't know what else to say. They're actually going to want to know substantively why. Why follow? Why believe? It's going to happen. I think we should encourage it. I think we should not fear it, not certainly run from it, but be willing to engage them in helping answer those questions. And as they become teenagers and they begin wrestling with those questions, why? What is happening in that time is that their relationship with the Lord is, is beginning to, to morph in, in, in very specific ways from something that, that it was more or less dependent on their parents to something that they now are, are conscious and able in determining whether they're willing to choose for themselves. And I'm not necessarily speaking to, and I'm not trying to say that they were unsaved and then become saved. That's certainly not my point at all. But if you look at the lives of teenagers across the, the gamut, and it will become true of these children as well, they will reach a point where they wonder, is this worth devoting my life to? And those are questions worth answering. 
And in the midst of those questions, for us to be that loving, welcoming place, for us to be that Christ-centered place, for us to be that place where grace abounds and where they come and they feel all of these things, they know there's something different here, that there is a consistency in our lives that they can point to, that becomes an anchor for them. As peer pressure will kick up and ramp to untold notches in their lives as the cultural influences of do this and be that and think that and act this way hits untold levels of pressure in their lives as the, as the options reach a fever pitch in ways that they never have for them to walk away from the Lord. You have the opportunity to be an anchor that what they feel and know and experience here might actually be a way for their souls to find steadfastness. Because amongst all of the swirling and crashing whatever around them, they know that there is a group of people that love them and love the Lord. That is a great gift. And I think that's part of what we're called to as a church in loving these kids well, in leading them well, in training and equipping them well, is that there might be a consistency lived in our lives that allows them to lean on us in those days. Are we hindering them from coming to Jesus? Are we just trying to take a big old spotlight and shine it right on him? Hey, sweetie, put your eyes there. Hey, bud. There. Yeah, I I understand life's crazy. I understand you've got these questions. We'll wrestle through them together, but don't take your eyes off of him. See, the disciples, they were bound up with cultural things. And these mothers and these fathers, whoever the they is in the text, were willing to break all cultural and societal norms to take their kids to Jesus. They did things that parents didn't do because they understood that there was one person who had the keys to eternal life. And as Mikey this morning reminded us, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That needs to be our focus. That we make disciple makers. And we do everything we can to model it and to exhort them to live their lives for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, that's a tall order. That is something I believe only accomplished in your strength and power and by your grace. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace and your mercy that we may be able to live out those things that you have called us to. That we may be able to honor and love and cherish these young ones, not just with our words and not just with a a Sunday morning where they stand on the stage, but with a consistency in our lives that says, here's somebody you can follow. God, we pray that you'd give us the grace we need to do what you've called us to do, to glorify you by being disciple-making disciples.
We thank you for loving us. And it's in the good name of your son that I pray. Amen. Well, have a great morning. You are dismissed.